Welcome to the podcast. This is episode number 22 of PR for Humans, uh, the podcast for great communicators and people who are interested in communications. And it's also the last episode of the current series of PR for Humans. We're back in the autumn with more very interesting guests, communicators from across the spectrum. And in this series, we've had an extraordinary range of novelists and illustrators actors, PR people, CEOs with inspirational stories and who knows where where this is going to to lead next and today it's leading to Chris Booth who is an old friend of mine in fact Chris I think we've known each other for more than 20 years yes it turns out Um, when we, we started working together on the intake desk at APTV Associated Press Television as as it then was in it must have been 1997 yep. or thereabouts. That's about right. And we then subsequently worked together again at the BBC, and in particular in Baghdad when we were there during, I suppose, what, you, what you'd call a war. And it was well, a, it was probably the, the one of the most dangerous uh, times of the post-conflict era in Iraq in terms of the amount of killing that was going on sectarian on on both sides it was dangerous to be a journalist it was trebly dangerous to be an Iraqi yeah exactly and I always felt and I was there I wasn't there anything like as much as as you were but I had you know a good few trips between 2007 and 2009 mostly in the safety of or comparative safety of the BBC house on the opposite side of the river to, to, to the green zone, and it, it was the local Iraqi journalists who were in the most danger. Yes, and if it hadn't been for them, frankly, our BBC output would have been negligible. Yeah. We yeah. should give credit where credit's due. No, oh, absolutely. Um, and since then, you've, well, you left the BBC, as I did, and you went to work for EBRD, European Bank for Reconstruction Development. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I left the BBC having spent... Uh, a period as the Moscow bureau chief and subsequently subsequently the Baghdad bureau chief um, and went to work in communications at the EBRD, European Bank for Reconstruction Development, where I was uh, looking after video output and subsequently photography as well. Great. And and now you, you freelance and you do variety of different projects you could call it um you could call it a a pause between careers or a portfolio career or freelancing um i'm turning my hand to whatever entertains me i'm fortunate enough at the moment that i've got uh opportunities to uh try and develop some of the things that i enjoyed most about broadcasting and most about working in communications for the ebrd and being able to leave behind some of the things that i enjoyed less such as endless meetings about meetings (laughs) yeah yeah, and we've had a, I've had a few of those, particularly since I left the BBC. But anyway, that's another another story. We're here really to talk about photography because, first of all, you're a wonderful photographer, um, and I think this is this is where your passion lies, or part of your passion. Without a doubt, um, photography is something I think about last thing at night and first thing in the morning. Um, I have more photography books in my flat than you can shake a stick at, as my wife knows, um, sort of squeezing out her wardrobe space already. Um, And photography is something that I've come to actually relatively recently, um, four or five years ago, um, as a form of therapy. And the form of therapy uh, I'm speaking about was that it helped me recover from a series of uh, what 
used to be called in the old days nervous breakdowns um, and hospitalizations partly brought on by work for the BBC and others partly I think it's endogenous um, but taking photographs was a wonderful way to look outside of oneself instead of introspecting um, the camera was in some ways a, a barrier between oneself and the world outside in some ways it was a portal through which you could really study the world beyond you um, so yes as a as a as a hobby um, it's something I feel passionately about and as a therapy it's something I depend upon and and why do you think that that worked for you as a as a form of therapy this this like stepping outside yourself observing human nature what do you think that gave to you and gives to you uh, I think it gives you a sense of perspective uh, but more important than that I think it gives you a sense of um, perhaps a slightly old-fashioned concept a sense of beauty um, we don't talk about beauty very much um, although I believe that we can all feel its presence or, or notice it um, and being able to frame the world in a way that is pleasing um, I think perhaps that goes to the heart of it mm. and is it about the beauty of, of humanity or is it, is it just a, an intense interest in, in humanity that you have I think, I think it's, one can lead to the other it's organic, it's somewhat circular in that respect, um, beauty can be simply a, a, a pleasing composition it can be a matter of geometry but it can also be um, a little micro drama that is played out in front of us endlessly and daily but you don't tend to notice it it's a way of paying attention photography for me is a way of paying attention to the surprising amount of, uh, of beauty that there is you know here and now in Lincoln's Inn Fields or in the centre of London or wherever you happen to be it, it, it is a way of opening one's eyes yes and we're, we're, we're sitting here in the, in the, in the beautiful sunshine um, here as you say in, in Lincoln's Inn Fields and looking around I guess as the, the photographer in you sees potential subject matter there's things that ev- I'd like to yes everywhere. absolutely <laughs> yeah. if I wasn't sitting talking to you now I'd be running around taking photographs and do people mind um, uh, sometimes yes I think um, one of the things that has come along uh, with the democratization of photography I'll explain what I mean by that shortly is that we've become increasingly suspicious of photographers um, we all know the apocryphal story of a African tribe that felt that if you took a photograph you were capturing part of their soul and we all thought that was quite funny a few years ago but nowadays I think we're all members of that apocryphal tribe Mm. I think an awful lot of people are very suspicious of the camera very suspicious of the uh, motives of the person who's taking that photograph and particularly when it comes to children um, they're essentially uh, off limits as a photographer even though they're obviously an important part or a, a, an essential part of daily life. Um, yes, so to answer your question, some people don't like it. And if, if they make that clear to me, I'll erase the photograph and move on and apologise. And about the, the, the motivation for, for people, you know, you talk about democratisation of photography and everyone's got their, got their cameras and photography is used as a form of endless self-promotion. Um, via social media can that be a good thing? Yeah, no, absolutely it's a good thing Um, but it it, it comes with certain nuances so um, when I first started taking 
pictures when I was a teenager, um, I couldn't afford to process them, so very soon stopped taking pictures. Nowadays, it costs you nothing whatsoever to take a picture on your phone. Um, you don't need any technical knowledge. You don't need any uh, vast uh, expenditure to get a good result. You can put a filter on something, and it looks kind of okay. I think that's a good thing, broadly speaking, but what comes along with it is uh, a greater sense of um, understanding on behalf of on behalf of of, of all of us, of the ways that photography can be used, misused, abused and manipulated. We've got a much more sophisticated view of photography than we did, say, 20 years ago. Because, I mean, wherever we go, we, we, see, we see photographs, we see images, and we're bombarded with them um, from in, in every waking moment, really, of, of our lives. Does this make us better judges of a, of a photograph, or do we just now kind of screen out most of the images that we typically see in a day i don't i think if we if we weren't to screen out most images would probably overload our mental hard drives pretty quickly but i don't think we do that any more or less than we used to i just think we're a more sophisticated consumer of images that's perhaps the way i would put it so um particularly if you're thinking in terms of advertising or uh, commercial use of photography Things need to be a bit more nuanced now. They need to. They can't be. Uh, I'm thinking, for example, of uh, the advertisement that perhaps helped my dad buy a Morris Marina back in the 1980s. And it has a chap with a pipe and a trilby, and he stood beside his trusty British car, and he's looking very pleased. Yeah. And that was an <laughs> effective use of photography back in whatever it was, 1981 or something. Nowadays, that could only work with lashings of self-irony and self-awareness. Um, because our uh, understanding of the ways that images uh, work uh, is so much more developed. Yeah, which makes it, it much more challenging, I think, to use photography well in, in communications. And, and, I, and I, well, I've been in PR and comms for getting on for four years, and I, I don't think I've ever really met somebody in a corporate role, uh, with the exception of yourself, who's actually thinking about photography in, with any kind of depth or um, feeling of how it fits into something bigger. I mean, people will talk about logos and brand and colours and, and, and maybe then a snap will come and take a few shots around the mm. office. But, but, you know, can, can photography be at, be at the heart of, of a communications oh, programme? Absolutely it can. I think it's sometimes one's led to believe that it's uh, slightly old-fashioned or the poor relation and you've got video uh, which is increasingly easy to produce uh, and is ubiquitous in terms of consumption uh, there's 3D uh, there's 360 degree videos there's virtual reality so it's easy to think that photography is old hat um, but I think that fundamentally misunderstands the role that images play in our life uh, I also think that one of the big differences between say video let me put it this way. Video and photography, it seems like they're bedfellows because video, in some sense, is made of 25 photographs per second. Mm. Um, but it's nothing like that. When you watch a video, you're watching it at the speed that the director or the editor has uh, desired that you watch it, if you see what I mean. Whereas if you look at a photograph, it somehow exists out of time. You, you spend as much or as little time on it as you feel like. You can linger over a photograph at your own pace. That's not the case with video. And I think that's something that 
is unique to the still image, to photography, and something which communicators can and do make an awful lot of. Mm. And what are, what are the pitfalls then of video? We, we've, we've both worked in... Video in, or photography? A video. 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 I mean, we've both worked in television, um, and we, we've edited packages together in, 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 in Iraq. Um, and... What do people kind of? What is the misunderstanding about video? Is it is it is it just that you know, uh, it's a sequence of pictures and get the sequence in the right order and write a script to it and, and everything will be okay? Or I mean, what what are the? Where do people go wrong with video? Before we talk in more detail about photographs, do you think? I, I think video, uh, at least as much if not more uh, so than photography, is at risk of being cliched. Um, I. I don't know enough about the commercial use of video uh, to speak with great authority on it, but in terms of the video that we used to make, um, uh, broadcast news, um, it would often become cookie-cutter. Um, I think there are certain tropes that become uh, modish in video, um, and you don't know that they become cliched until it's too late and you've used them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, but I think that there is a sort of common theme about the pictures sometimes being the pictures are dominant if you're in any kind of visual medium like you know, television um, the pictures can very easily overpower the story that was that was my feeling you know when I was doing it that that actually people don't really think about um, the analysis or the big picture you know because you've got a picture of a massive explosion going off and actually how much is that telling you about the situation in the well, Middle East well, well the other key thing Mike is that video is essentially a passive experience mm. you are consuming it in, in almost the literal sense it's being pushed into your head um, whereas with photography uh, to draw a comparison you're at liberty to as I said linger over it to draw your own conclusions to imagine what's going on outside the frame in a way that uh, is quite in contrast to being spoon-fed with a piece of video. Mm. It, in, in the same way that radio demands more of your imagination, I'd say that a still requires more of your imagination or empathy than video does. Because it's good to connect you with a story, but it's not showing you everything. It, it's show, showing uh, the best photographs, uh, and the uh, same is true of, of much of the best of communication, show rather than tell. Um, but I think you'll find... If you think about some of the biggest, going back to news, if you think about some of the biggest news stories of our time or the time of uh, the generation before us, many of them are remembered as still images rather than video. If you think, for example, of Don McCullen's photograph of the shell-shocked soldier, um, that becomes emblematic of the Vietnam War in the way that meters and meters of newsreel perhaps aren't, they've been forgotten they were consumed, they were watched uh, digested and forgotten about the following day uh, the other famous picture from Vietnam would be the young girl who'd been uh, uh, who'd been uh, on the receiving end of a napalm attack mm. um, when you think of the war in the Pacific the Second World War, the flag being raised over Iwo Jima is in many respects more uh, I hate the word iconic, but frankly, if there was a good use of the word iconic, that's mm. it, mm. more so than video. Mm. And, and the, the, the child in, um, in Syria, covered with all the, the dust up. The Absolutely. Explosion. Absolutely. Um, there was, in, in, in some respects, there were 
two two rather terrible pictures involving children. Mm. Uh, the one that you first mentioned, um, and secondly, there was the young boy Alan Kurdi or Alan Kurdi, um, whose body was washed up on a Turkish beach. Um, and that photograph, that image, I think, is probably seared into the minds of. Uh, most adults, if not all adults, particularly in the Western world, uh, you know, uh, at this time, it had a stronger effect than uh, umpteen well-produced packages by broadcasters. Mm. So, so images um, can be very powerful and, and, and often about telling us a story involving considerable tragedy and, 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 and death and, and terrible things happening. What about on the positive end of the of the? the scale I mean how how effectively can can images be used to tell a positive story either of an individual or a company I I think they can uh, do so uh, very economically in two senses of the word first of all uh, by and large using photography is going to be cheaper than creating video although the difference between the two is narrowing uh, stills photography is still cheaper economically in the metaphorical sense because in one shot if it's well chosen or well art directed you can convey levels of subtlety of meaning and emotion that would take reams of of paper of uh, prose to convey Um, so it, it can be economic in as much as it's not going to break the bank. It can be economic in as much as it is delivering a very complex message very efficiently. But therein also lies the danger uh, that it's, uh, you might say that you're playing with fire. If you choose your image badly, um, you, you will get your just desserts in terms of communication failure. Yeah, and, and so many of the, the corporate images, and, and I'm sure I've been guilty of this myself, that... that in the past have been um, damaged your brand because they're not interesting or unique enough so almost better not to have any photographs than, I, I than think the I, sort of stock yes, shots yes the, the stock shots the, I think are, are, are a road to uh, comms perdition to be honest it's, it's a cheap way of acquiring photography and you think it looks quite good but your audience believe me is much more sophisticated than that so particularly if you're in uh, financial services or or, or white-collar work, everybody's using the same stock shots of a lantern-jawed man in a tight-fitting shirt (laughs) looking at a a, a woman by a a flip chart with perfect teeth. Mm. Um, There's only so many of those pictures out there, and we've seen them all. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we we, we certainly have. So so if you've got a business where um, there's nothing terribly exciting going on visually, and and it's just an office or it's a collection of people... um, can you, can you tell an interesting photographic story out of that? You might need to, be, uh, you might need to take an abstract approach to it. Um, you certainly need to do a lot more than just decide that whoever's cleverest with an iPhone is going to do the pictures. Um, you know, there's a halfway house between having an in-house photographer and using stock uh, foot, uh, stock pictures and that would be to approach uh, a photographic agency or a photographer and to discuss uh, what kind of look would best represent your brand or your company but let's not get ahead of ourselves photography is no use if you don't know what your story is you need to define in the same way as in journalism what is the top line why should anybody apart from me care about this and then decide which medium is best to relate that story or, or to convey that message yeah that just cuts across 
everything. You know, who who is the the audience? Um, what are we trying to tell them? Where is this all going? And then whether it's a video, whether it's a speech, whether it's a photograph, whether it's a podcast, you know, that, that's anything almost, that's has almost to secondary. Fit with the, uh, the, yeah, it's almost secondary. Once you know um, what you're about and what you're trying to be about, yeah. which is which is sometimes the, the hardest thing, in fact, almost always the hardest thing. So, what are your um, your reflections now, Chris? I mean, we. As I said at the beginning, we, we worked together in, in, in Iraq and, and you, you also had long spells in, in, in Moscow and in other places. I mean, looking back on, on, those, on those years, what, what are your, putting photography to one side, what, what are your reflections about, about journalism? I mean, it's a, it's a profession that we, that we both moved away from in a way, but, but still I, I sense and I, and I feel we're, we're both close to I, 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 I'm hugely grateful for the opportunities I had working in broadcasting. Um, the time uh, from as roughly early 90s when I first started working in broadcast news um, to uh, about 2010 when I stopped, um, a, a whole lot of uh, change and earthquakes happened in, in the industry and in the business. Um, and I found that I felt... Um, there was less and less that I could contribute. There was less uh, interest in the longer story or the nuanced story. Everything had to be, I hate to use the phrase dumbed down, but I've yet to find a better, more efficient one than dumbed down. Um, But uh, having said that, um, I think it's important to say that you can continue to use journalism in a way that, or the skills of journalism rather, in communications, be that corporate or for NGOs or for charities or whoever it may be, the the rules of Journalism 101, how to define what your story is and then tell it efficiently, uh, are, are, are absolutely germane uh, once you've left the profession. I think it's a gross misrepresentation to suggest that if you leave journalism and you go to PR that you've somehow sold your soul or you've crossed over to the dark side. I think uh, not just uh, in in broadcast or print news, but in effective communications in general, honesty is still valuable. Beauty is still appreciated. Truth is still meaningful. Yeah, no, and all all those things are are essential. I I sort of turn on its head a bit, and I, I, I think, in a way, journalism is the dark side because... It's so blimmin' negative, and it's obsessed with with death and destruction and disaster and scandal and things going wrong, often suddenly and quickly. And when things improve in the world, they do so slowly, incrementally, in a way that's less newsworthy, mm-hmm. but is actually more significant for the way in which we all live our lives. And, and I I quite like being on the on the more positive side, trying to look at the world. Um, in, in it through a positive lens rather than a negative lens of a, of a journalist but I I so agree with you about storytelling as well and when when I crossed into I suppose you could call it public relations you, you know the suggestion is oh you you might be good at this because you kind of know lots of journalists so you can sell in these stupid stories to people but that's absolutely not not the case in fact that's the quickest way to devalue your your, your yourself and lose your capital and, and, but the, the thing that you do have, which is incredibly valuable, and this is the common ground, is the, the storytelling. Just being able to look at a, an individual or a company and just cut through and say, right, what is your story? Who are, who, 
who are you? What are you trying to do? Where are you trying to go? And I think that that when when applied um, uh, skillfully uh, and in detail and with panache can uh, result in authenticity. And authenticity is something that should be at the heart of uh, any uh, communications campaign, to my mind. Yeah, yeah. And and going back to your points about honesty, uh, essential, the truth, not a bad idea. Honesty is not just the best <laughs> policy. It's sometimes the easiest story to tell. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because otherwise you get in a horrible tangle. You know, yeah. you lose track of Your things. fibs catch up with you, as my mother <laughs> used to say. Um, Chris, it's been a, a great... Um, conversation and, a, and, a, and a, a really good way to kind of round out this this um, series of, of podcasts. Thanks, so, I enjoyed it very much. It's nice to have the opportunity to sound off about something I'm very passionate about. Yeah, well, you, you, it's, it's, it's great great to hear that. And it's got me thinking in, in different ways about, about photography and um, the way it can be deployed in, in communications and, and in life and um, as a form of therapy as well, if, if necessary. And that was, that was also very interesting and and powerful point so thank you very much my pleasure and um to anyone who's uh, been listening to these podcasts over the last few months thank you so much for taking the time to to listen to all the interesting and, and, and inspiring people i've had on um we're now listed on 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 spotify as well as, as itunes and and stitcher and um and buzzsprout so um lots of different ways in which this podcast can be enjoyed and I hope you'll continue to, to listen as we get um, a new range of, of fascinating people on in, uh, well, September onwards. We'll, we'll, we'll begin Series 2. And uh, if it's been anything like uh, as interesting as, as Series 1, um, then we're all going to learn a lot and have a lot of interesting conversations. So thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>